folks, welcome to the podcast. We're here in the Lamar Peninsula, Goose Island, at the beautiful home of Casey and Stephen. Uh, let's start off with some introductions. Miss Casey. Casey Bones, coming at you from our front porch. <laughs> <laughs> Post-Harvey porch. It's, yes. Uh, it's, it's better than I thought it was going to well, be. Well, had you been here uh, a month ago, I, maybe you would have some different emotions <laughs> about what, what's been going on, or if you dri- if even still, if you drive a mile up the road, you know, yeah, everything is uh, demolished, and people still haven't returned back, and Holiday Beach is just completely wiped out. And we'll jump into that here shortly. Uh, um, but yes, you could. I came two weeks after, mm-hmm. and um, I can see improvements. Um, not having to live through it every day and not having the emotional connection to it as much as, as you guys. But, uh, no, it's going to be a long process for sure. Yeah. And Mr. Steven? Yeah, I'm Steven. And uh, <laughs> it's good to be here. But, yeah, it, it has gotten better in the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I have noticed things. Things Life is getting a little bit more back to normal. I remember when we first showed up, we basically had to saw our way to the front door. But we were just lucky we had a roof. So many people didn't. Yeah. A good friend of mine lost his house entirely. And um, still trying to scramble around, trying to figure out how to operate his guiding business without a home. So It's tough. Um, so that's really what drew me to um, the guide aspect. It was what mm-hmm. uh, drew me to contact uh, Casey, number one, because she's a... Uh, female avid fly fisherman and is really passionate about uh, our coastal resources. I saw some stuff she put on on social media in relation to oyster reefs and the protection of oyster reefs. And um, that's when the idea popped in my head to come out and contact you to, to do this. So to both of you, thank you for inviting me to your home Absolutely. to do this. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about uh, fly fishing, the guide business. Ah. Let's let's start there. Okay. Well, I don't want to boast or anything. <laughs> no. Um, so, for me, just starting out is is number one an experience in itself. Number two, I have the fact that I am a female, which doesn't necessarily separate me from um, like the community or what's already, you know, been put in place. It's just feeling almost, there's a little bit of intimidation that exists, um, in myself. Um, and, and then having the hurricane come kind of in the midst of all of that, you know, when I'm, when I'm just trying to get off of my feet and um, make things happen for myself and n- not necessarily prove myself, but feel like what I've, what I've worked for, what I want, what I'm passionate about is right, you know. And so I, I heard these horror stories, you know, I, I have guide friends around here, airboat guides, bay boat guides, you name it, I ha- fly fishing guides, I have friends. And, you know, a lot of them already have these established businesses. And after the hurricane, they were calling me, like, with free days, let's go fish, let's go have fun, because my trips have canceled all the way through October. 
And so fortunately for myself, um, having an opportunity to reach out to people, uh, the platform that I have with She on the Fly has really helped um, gain kind of a, uh, a, a business before it's even become a business. And so I've been really blessed as far as, you know, being able to book trips for the next three months. And I'll be hosting a women's and all women's uh, trip to the Bahamas for bone fishing and permit. Uh, the end of this month, I go solo and then we come back. And in December, I have uh, four days with a bunch of women <laughs> <laughs> which should be should be an interesting experience um so i don't know um uh a, as far as the the guiding aspect of it goes for me personally there's still a lot to learn um and unfortunately in the learning process and then the transition between summertime fishing and fall fishing like That's right in the middle is when we got the hurricane. And so it's like, I didn't actually get to experience the transition or I didn't get to see this phenomenon that happens when fall comes around. And then all of a sudden, like the fish are everywhere up on the flats. Yeah. And, you know, last year we spent all of our time fishing the Laguna Madre. And so since we've moved up here, it's been getting to know these like Northern intimate waters a lot better. And, um, you know, we've had some really, really, really good fishing days. And then we've had days that are just kind of, you know, mediocre. But since the hurricane, it's been really difficult to gauge, okay, well, where's the fall fishing? You know, um, everything's just kind of been changed. And I suspect everything's still mixed up and there's no patterns that have uh, not yet. developed. Not yet. Not yet. Um, a lot of the vegetation was displaced. Yeah. And there's a lot of water, um, a lot of dirty water. Um, there's a lot of fresh water. There's, um, you, you go back into these places and they look familiar and then you really start looking around and it's like, okay, this has changed a lot. And then you look at what the fishing was like. Uh, and then you look at the fishing now, a month later, and um, we're just now starting to see some fish after a month of the hurricane. So I think it's just going to take some time and learning. And and that's kind of a, a, the beautiful thing about it, too, is that everybody gets everybody gets a fresh start. <laughs> you know, uh, there are a lot of places that have changed and have are, are different now. So, you know. I've you can sit there and say you know the place like the back of your hand well I guarantee you there's something new about that place that you don't know yet and so it's it's nice to be on the level playing field with everyone just kind of nobody really knows what exactly is out there and everybody's exploring and everybody's trying to figure out the fishery for themselves and it, it's nice being on the same playing field with everyone so you're just now getting back to where you're getting books uh, trips booked well routinely. I mean I'm just starting to book um I think the the important part of us being here was that l learning the the fishery first before um 
you know, actually taking people out and then I, I, I'm the type of person where I find something I like and that's what I like. And Steven can tell you when I first started fly fishing, like I would go, I caught my first redfish and then that's the only place I would ever want to go back to. <laughs> I never wanted to go fish anywhere else. And he would drive him insane. He, he's an explorer and I'm more, you know, I want to find the fish. I'm comfortable. I like, you know, I like the repetition of places and he's very different in that aspect. And yeah, he would go crazy. He would get so mad and he already knew where I said I was good, where I where wanted to go get- fish. It's like, why do you even ask me? <laughs> you already know. <laughs> so as a guide, you've got to be able to do both, right? I mean, you've got to have spots that you know you can go to, but if yeah. those fail, you've, you need to be able to read the water and, and, and explore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. And and I've had a I've had a taste of uh, of the Laguna Madre and I've had a taste of the northern waters here. So um, and then you know Stevens of course helped me out in the middle and you know he's been fishing these waters for a long time by himself and he's been a great teacher and it's been nice to learn from him from from the actual like using the tools as a as an angler and then being able to like run a boat and get to where I need to be um and so yeah it's 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 been a really cool experience but um I mean for I love redfish you know I I I have been to Costa Rica I went to the Keys tarpon fishing um, and there, you know, I, I had unsuccessful trips both times. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. It was like traveling all over the place, chasing tarpon and coming up empty handed every time. And so maybe I'm a little bit biased about the redfish, but, um, there's something about Texas redfish that I think, you know, they're, they're forced to be reckoned with. They're different. They're not Louisiana redfish. They're not... You know, Florida redfish. They're, it's a different kind of fish. It's the same fish, but it's a different kind of fish. And so for me to take a lot of time um, and pr- focus my my s- mind and what I want, particularly on this specific fish, um, that's what I enjoy, and I enjoy it a lot. So, What are your goals for your guide? guiding business well i had goals and then all of this crazy stuff started happening and then my goals kind of imploded to new goals and um so uh right now where i'm at is i recently took a offer from hardy fly rods um i was contacted by them probably a month or two before the hurricane I love how we're using that as a point of reference. The I hurricane. I think you will do that for a long time. Yeah. Because <laughs> life did change after that. Yeah. But um, I, I was contacted by Hardy Fly Rods. And it just started out, you know, as, um, uh, you know, they weren't offering me anything. It was just, hey, we have, you know, we know you like to redfish. Um, we're going to send you some rods. Would you mind testing them out and giving us some feedback on what you think? And, uh, you know, I had never even touched a hardy fly rod. You know, I, I had no idea what they were about. I, 
I even had to go online and look up the company. I hope John's not listening. <laughs> but I had I mean, you know, I had to do my research at that point, but as as a as a female angler and somebody who's coming up in 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 the industry, it's I wanted to uh put my hands on them and I did. And um it wasn't one of those situations where I had to like BS back to John about it. It was this is probably the best rod I've ever casted and I love it. And so they sent me some more stuff and uh decided I you know, that it would be a good idea to form a relationship with one another and so from this point on, um, you know, having that opportunity and being supported by um, someone who is, you know, uh, representing a company like Hardy Fly Rods uh, has opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, uh, North Riding Point Club and on Grand Bahama Island, um, I I definitely wouldn't have that opportunity if it wasn't for, for John. And um, so I'm really grateful. And before my goals were very simple and I think that's how most goals start for beginner you know fly fishing or up and coming fly fishing guides or fishing guides in general is like you just want to book trips you know and you don't you don't get these opportunities that are just handed in your lap like a baby and if somebody's saying okay here you raise this Mm -hmm. you know and we'll see you know what it grows into and so uh, my original goal was to just be booked and um i have recently fulfilled that opportunity uh and then on top of that i've had um this wonderful business opportunity to go down to the bahamas annually and host these women's trips for beginners or experienced anglers whatever you know um so that that's important to me and and she on the fly started uh, you know a year a year and four months ago well i guess a year ago and um it's it's solely to promote women in fly fishing uh it's not we don't discriminate against men or anything like Mm -hmm. that it's uh but just more of you know (laughs) fly fishing is male dominated and that's a fact Okay, and I know that there's a lot of women who would enjoy fly fishing who are either intimidated or don't feel that they have the skill or don't have the knowledge. Well, there is, you know, 15 percent of the of the the fly fishing anglers are women. And so the resources are out there. And so creating a platform for all these women to come together and share the resources. So if other women, other women want to contact other women about, you know, how to do this, what rod, where do I fish, you know, how do I do this? That platform is available without having that like machismo kind of um, uh, feedback from a man where, you know, that could totally deter a female from wanting to get into fly fishing. So that that's kind of. All in all, I know it sounds like a bunch of rambling, but (laughs) it does make sense in the end as a goal. It's like, I'm booked, I'm going to the Bahamas, and I'm taking women with me. So there's the goal. So let's jump into the Bahamas trip. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you tell us uh, in more detail what that trip's about, what people 
could expect. Yeah. And um, and and how they can well get involved. Okay, so um, it's short notice for this particular trip, um, but I think it's totally doable. So North Riding Point Club is situated on Grand Bahama Island. They have some of the best guides the the Bahamas has to offer. Um, it's this quaint, cool, unique club. And they have little cottages, two beds per cottage. They're beautiful cottages, AC, all that stuff. So it's not like... You're it's not roughing not, it. No, this is, this is not like the eight days I spent in Costa Rica behind a soup kitchen. <laughs> so... Um, no, it, 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 it's incredible. It's it's almost like having a five-star experience without being over the top. Um, this is a bone fishing dream. Like, you know, John was just down there and he was sending me these pictures of these double-digit bone fish that they were catching on a daily basis. I mean, you're talking, you know, chances at permit, barracuda, tarpon, sharks, triggerfish you know, uh, just all different species of snapper. And so it's an opportunity that the idea behind hosting this trip is it's an opportunity for it to be all women. Um, there are currently, I believe four spots available left. How many are going total? Nine. Nine. Uh-huh. And, uh, not including myself. Um, so the, the deal is, is, you know, we show up, the dates are December 11th through the 15th. You fly in the 11th, try, you know, depending on everybody's schedule. I know everybody comes from different places, Get but there on your own, e e right. Yeah. So flights aren't included in the package or anything. It's, it's up to you to kind of figure out how you're going to get there, when you're going to get there. Um, but so the first day, the idea is, is everybody shows up at a reasonable hour we have a welcome dinner, um, and then we have a guy, he's Bahamian. He's also a guy down there. His name is Justin, and uh, he's with uh, uh, the Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And so uh, he'll come and do a presentation to us and uh, basically explain to the ladies, you know, everything education the fishery you name it you know give as give as much information as he can um to educate the ladies before they get to go out and so it's four nights at the club and then you have three full days of fishing you do share a boat with someone another female angler which so is nice three on the boat including the guy it's two so if there's an odd number person somebody has to rotate will rotate the days. Somebody will get a boat to themselves. Oh, I see. Um, so, uh, but but we're tr we try to pair two women on the boat. Um, I, I which I I enjoy. You know, I I've fished with other girls before, and one in particular, Lizzie Urbina. She's probably my favorite girl to fish with. 
but um, it's nice to be on a boat with another female. It's totally different than y'all guys. <laughs> 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 like, we're very girly, and we cheer each other on, and we're yeah, real yeah, sensitive, yeah, 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 yeah. and, oh, you go, girl, you know. Uh, I and then my wife on this deal, and like then, I see already. And then guys <laughs> are like, you know, oh, you're blowing your shots. and <laughs> so, You missed it. Yes, <laughs> you missed that. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, for girls, we just got to, like, you're clap. You're off the bow. Get out. Clap and cheer each other on and give each other a pat it on was the right butt. There. <laughs> exactly. So so that's that's kind of the 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 whole purpose of bringing the women together. It's an opportunity for women to let their hair down, have a good time, a girls weekend per se, yeah. you know, a girls four days. And um either, you know, catch their first fish on fly or mark one off the list. You know, so it's all skill levels. It is all skill levels. I mean, we have opportunities for you to learn to cast on this trip. Um, you know, from myself to the the folks that they have there at the club already. Um, the guides are amazing. All of the gear is provided. You don't have to travel with anything. You just have to bring yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a good time. It's it's. Uh, I think it's an opportunity for, for anyone, you know, even if you don't, even if you're just an adventurer and you just, you're like, you know, I always wanted to try fly fishing. <laughs> I mean, you're going to leave an addict, yeah, you know, right. you're not going to thank me after this. <laughs> you're you're going to be, you're going to be booking your next trip, you know? So, um, that, that's where we're at for the Bahamas and I'm excited about it. So, um, and then we're doing that annually and there will be different dates around the year. We're already working on dates for 2018. Um, so, but yeah, that's available. And you know, the, the package is, it's when you compare it to, let's say three days of fishing, um, you know, for, for, tarpon and the keys i mean you're looking up at about four days and three days of fishing in the keys full days with a guide you're looking at the same cost yeah you yeah. know so so if people are interested i mean they really like this mm -hmm. idea whether they can jump in this year or next um, yeah how should they go about so you can go to sheonthefly.com and if you go to the destination and host trips uh uh, if you click on that, it'll give you all of this package details and the pricing of it. And then it'll ask you to um, send an email or make a phone call uh, to myself. Um, my, my number's up there. And so basically, because Bahamian banks are different and they're, they charge outrageous amounts of money, um, we're trying to figure out how to make it available to pay on a credit card. So we're paying credit cards here in the U S right. and then, um, basically eating and swallowing all of the percentages after we take it to the Bahamas. I see. So, um, just to give more of an option, you know, um, and if not, uh, if, if somebody is interested and they do, you know, have that, the funds available to pay cash or check, 
um, that can be mailed in prior to, or half of it can be mailed in prior to, to save your spot, and then you can come down with the rest. The rest. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. But food, all the drinks you want, lodging, your guide, everything is paid for. You just got to get there. You just got to get there. You just got to get there. And so, um, you know, uh, there is a 7% Bahamian tax that's included in that already. They, it's like taxes. They want to tax you on everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, you have a uh, $25 a day gratuity for the staff at the club. And then you have a $100 a day gratuity for the boat guide. Mm -hmm. But if you're sharing a boat with someone, that's only 50 bucks. It's $100 total right. per boat, not per person. So um, on the invoice, it, it kind of looks scary. Like, oh, that looks like a lot of money. It's really not when you break it down. And the truth is, is you can do that trip for about $3,900, not including airfare. And, I mean, this is a five-star, world-class bone fishing trip. And, you know, whether you've caught fish on fly before or, you know, whether you haven't, you're going to have shots. You're going to have an opportunity. Sounds like a great time. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, think so. I, I, I won't be able to do this year, not me, well, send, send my wife. But, uh -huh. um, she's a fly fisherman. She just doesn't know it yet. Like oh. I see her, I, I can see her really getting into it. And like you said, I think once she starts, she wouldn't look back. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Yeah. You're in for trouble. You can ask <laughs> this guy right here. <laughs> no, I've never seen anybody so passionate about it, really. She works so, really hard. She really does. So you got her, you started her off? Like, how did? Yeah, uh, that I sort of introduced myself to her by offering to take her fly fishing, really. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she took me up on the offer, and next thing you know, she was just completely smitten with it and practicing all the time and getting her cast down and and wanted to go every chance she could and she used to just wear me out you know wanting to fish for trout <laughs> under the lights or whatever it was and yeah and say oh my god let's go home you know <laughs> but uh she 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 is just and she has a really good set of eyes she sees fish as well as anybody or better I, i've met so that was really good to go out with someone and i think it's, it's casey's a good hunter and she was used to looking at things and noticing what's going on out there. So she was just constantly focused and tuned in. Uh, so all she really needed to do at that point is learn how to cast well. And once she did that, uh, she just started catching fish and, you know, and turned into running the boat and everything else. The next thing you know, she wanted to be a fishing guide. But um, yeah, so definitely that's, I, I gave her her first fly rod. He did. <laughs> he did. He gave me my first fly rod. Yeah. It was a uh, one-piece, seven-weight Loomis. Uh -huh. that, and he gave me my first reel, too. He gave me a uh, a classic. Old Tibor. Yeah. Tibor Freestone. I still fish that thing. <laughs> the noise that it makes. I love it. I love it. Oh, I shouldn't say that, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Hardy won't be, they won't have their feelings hurt at all. Uh, everybody has to start somewhere. Right, right. You know, and, and if you can be that person like my husband now, 
you know, he wasn't my husband at the time, but he, well, obviously we got married. Um, if you can be that person to facilitate something like that for someone else, I think that the, 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 the end result for them is just, you know, you never, you never forget that person. You never forget what that person offered you. Right. Um, and, and so, and, and then it's like this launch point for you to get into something totally outside the box that maybe you usually wouldn't get into, you know, saltwater fly fishing is not easy. Well, I was just about to say <laughs> just from someone that doesn't do it, it's, you know, it's, there, it's for me, there's an intimidation factor. Yeah. Because Right. I don't want to look like this goofy dude out there just whapping a stick around in the air, not knowing yeah. what he's doing and not knowing what weight to use and what fly to tie. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the equipment's pretty simple. I mean, it's like one fly rod and a half a dozen flies. That's not the complicated part. It's just learning how to cast. And you learn how to cast on the lawn and, and go hire someone like a casting instructor. We have a, a great guy, Dave Hayward, in town, and there's Austin. And oh, Austin Orr is the yeah. fantastic. And, um, uh, and and just learn how to cast on the grass. And then when you go out there uh, to fish, it, it's not overwhelming. But you got to put your time in. Yeah. I mean, I I, re I started in my early 20s, and I, there was a little field outside of the house I lived in when I was in college, and I would I would just practice all the time. People would make fun of me and and um, and say, well, you know, what are you fishing for? You catch anything <laughs> it was just the dog really the flies and ran away it was a healer and uh but yeah you got to just put in your time if you do that it's not it's not that hard it we've done it twice we went for trout and shamrock co corpus oh uh, good that's actually my place really yes that is yeah. the place <laughs> that i would always say i wanted to go to yeah yeah like, casey come on <laughs> This place it's, gets hammered. Let's try does, something else. It does. It's <laughs> so, so two trout and shamrock. Yeah. Sight casting or no, blind, no, no. blind we, casting? Blind casting. Uh -huh. like, I mean, we knew the fish were in there. But yeah. I wasn't like, oh, there's a trout. How'd you do? Did you do okay? Oh, a couple of dinks. I mean, I loved it, but then my, you know, it just. <laughs> I threw out some big girls today. It, he it, did. It's hard to catch uh, sight cast a trout. It just is because they're looking up, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always see you first. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I got away from it, and um, you know, I, I, uh, I would love to get back into it, and but not, I don't just don't feel comfortable enough just to go buy my own gear mm -hmm. and know what I need and feel like I could just go out there and catch some fish. So yeah, um, you know, I getting a, an instructor like you mentioned, and there's even clubs, right? I mean, there's sure. I know in the Houston area, there's mm -hmm. there's a pretty big club. Yeah, a really good one, right? There's some good fly shops, some good guides. I, I would. I would suggest anybody is they go into a fly shop, they, you know, budget to get some decent gear, take a casting lesson, learn how to cast, and then hire a guide. And then after that, you can probably figure it out yourself. Yeah. But I mean. Hey, this is <laughs> not. I mean, come on. I'm just Unless kidding. you just want the luxury of someone pulling you around, which is nice. But no, no. I mean, once but you get your clients, right? Once you get right, your clients. Right, exactly. That's your client base. And they're yeah. always going to want to come back to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, if you're good at what you do, they're going to want to yeah. come Yeah, yeah. And then also, you know, you have this, uh, this generational gap between the older guides here 
And then you have these new up and coming younger guides. And I think that's all over. It's not just in Texas. Yeah, I was going to say that's not. Yeah. But, but you, you, you see more of a desire from people who are getting into fly fishing or who have fly fished before, who just want something different who are now, you know, looking forward to booking with the younger guides, you know, um, no offense to any of the older, older crowd, of course, um, they'll work their butts off, (laughs) but now I, I I mean, I'm going to say it. I think it's true. I do. I think it's true. I think there's something to be said and about, the the new generation of anglers that are coming up who are guides were completely different from the guides who have been fishing here for 30 20 30 years you know it's it's a different um style it's a different way about doing it i mean everything is different about it and so i think that that's appealing to people i think it's exciting Maybe not for you. I mean, we are 15 years apart. So. Um, but being a younger person, you know, in, in more of like the millennial stage. We are much less likely to post about it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> or Snapchat. <laughs> Take a selfie with the fish. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Asked, I remember she asked me for fish pictures once. I was like, I don't know. I just uh, haven't done that again. a long time. <laughs> I always like, yeah. He catches fish all the time. I mean, whatever. Now I don't even bother him with asking if he wants a picture anymore. Because he just doesn't, he doesn't do it. You know, he's like. I'm like, do you have any pictures of you with any fish? That is you know, when we first met. <laughs> and he's like, generational no, sure. you know. And I'm like, really? I don't know. If you're going to let it go, I mean, of course, I get it. You have the, like, that you have the memory and the experience, and that's all very important. But, you know, we live amongst a generation of technology, and you're on your phone all the time. So, you know, um, I think a picture is kind of cool to memorialize that moment or look back on it and say, man, I remember that eat, you know, that fish ate. Yeah. So I, I, it's different. I do wish I had some more. And when I realized <laughs> how many I have compared well, to you, well, the, I remember you asked me about the tarp and I was like, you know, I remember this one time trade thought, oh, we should take some pictures of this. That's a. 125 pounder you know and i was glad i like to look at them yeah (laughs) 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 all the other ones we just never thought to even pick up the camera but anyway (laughs) (laughs) well let's switch it up let's jump into back into harvey okay hurricane harvey um so um if i remember correctly just i think maybe on facebook but um Two days before, maybe y'all put out there that y'all didn't plan on leaving, like you were just going to No, I I actually put out there the night before that I wasn't leaving. Okay. And then I actually put up there at 5 a.m. the day that it made landfall that I wasn't leaving. And then at 6.30, I said, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. So, you know, this is his fault that that we were going to stay you know i personally 
have, I'm 30 years old. I've never been through a hurricane before. I, I was toying with the idea, okay, category three, it's just a little bit more than a two. A two is just a little bit more than a one. You know, I, I'm trying to justify this in my head. Were like thinking three, though, two days before? No. It was no, it was, it, it, storm. Yeah. Yeah, storm. Yeah, it was supposed to be a tropical storm. Yeah. And so we're sitting here thinking about not even boarding up windows. You know, yeah. we're just like, we're just going to ride this thing out. And then the day before, it was a Category 2. And then it became a Category 3 that night. And, you know, we weren't going to leave. We woke up, and, you know, we still had windows to board up. And I I remember I was sitting in the room, and I was really, really anxious and just not knowing what to expect. And I had some data on my phone still because we were already getting the bands. We were getting, you know, 30, 40 mile per hour winds at, mm-hmm. you know, 5 a.m. It rained all night the night before, stormed. And I saw that it had the potential to c- become a Category 4 and it still had another 12 hours in the Gulf. And at that point, for me, there was no, no question. I wanted to leave. And... Either that or I was going to drink every single bottle of liquor that is sitting inside (laughs) so I wouldn't have to deal with the storm itself, you know. Um, So I I came in and I came to Steven and it was, you know, about 6 o'clock and I said, I can't do this. I can't. And he was still gung-ho about staying and I could see he, he was disappointed, you know. He had that, all right... You know, we're going to leave for a well, storm. I, she had tears in her eyes, and, and I thought I would be the biggest jerk on the planet if I selfishly said, no, we're going to stay. Yeah. And, 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 and I was busy. I still had some things to board up, and I was boarding things up. And, um, and so when she, you know, I saw the sincerity and how earnest she was about this is really going to scare the hell out of her, and I, I decided to be a self-centered thing of me for me to impose that on her so you know we left and I'm really glad we did it would have been a completely stupid thing to stay here um, although the house made it I mean th- these storms are terribly unpredictable and I look around town and I see really nice structures that are just cut down I thought you know there's something very unpredictable about the nature of a hurricane yeah and uh, I'll never, ever even suggest that we ride out another one. That, that just would have been dumb. And I'm glad she talked some sense into me. Well, didn't like 40% of the population, at least in Rockport, stay? stay yeah. yeah. And then and what they faced was a night of terror, misery, yeah. and then no power. While we were up on the Riverwalk and... And in San Antonio, enjoying Mexican food, enjoying good food and drinks, and and (laughs) we were depressed and upset and full of anxiety. So we didn't really get to enjoy ourselves. We didn't know our house was still there. Right. Uh, So it wasn't like (laughs) it was all good times, but at least we were safe. Yeah. And um, and uh, I remember when the the guy we bought this house from, uh, he called and I, I, I asked. Kenneth, I said, do you know anyone there who can take a picture? I would just feel so good if I knew that the house was still there. And he knew a fireman that had stayed, a first responder, and he came by and took a picture. And, and there were, of course, trees down, but 
the house was still there and the roof was on it. Because that's what you sit there and think about the roof being gone and everything you own getting wet and ruined and, yeah, and, and yeah. just how do you replace all those irreplaceable things. But and a lot of people have dealt with that, but we we're fortunate that we didn't. Uh, here on the Lamar Peninsula, we're high. Uh, if you're not not you know if you're here in the middle of it, you're significantly above sea level, and we have all these beautiful oak trees to sort of buffer the wind. Mm -hmm. And if they don't fall on your house and go through it, uh, you know you're okay. Fortunately, a lot of ours did fall on the house, but they didn't go through it. And I feel like the trees kind of took a hit for us. Yeah, and saved our roof. Yeah, and uh, saved the structure. So. And y'all lost? How many did you say? Seven. Trees. Seven, yeah, seven trees. Some of them were oh. really old and big, yeah. and they really kind of made the house. But golly, I mean, we're so fortunate. I mean, I've got a friend of mine lost his entire home. There's just nothing there, and um, a lot of people don't, you know, just. They, they don't have a home and they don't have the resources to find even a temporary place to live. It's it's gonna, it's a total discombobulation of the entire town, and uh, but I think it's all gonna work out. People will find their way, and Rockport's gonna rebuild itself, and everything will be okay. But it's gonna take some time. It I, I agree, and and I'm sure some people are scared and frustrated, and my my brother has a place there in town, and um, they're really upset. And they had some significant damage to their place. And as an outsider, I was to myself kind of knowing the vibe and the people that make up Rockport. I was like, if, if any town mm -hmm. can come back from something like this, yep. it's the folks of Rockport. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to get into it. Right. right. I mean, <laughs> nothing's going to slow them down. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of businesses were lost and it, it probably doesn't have that same vibe or that same feeling. Not yet. But it will, right? Yeah, I mean, right. Because the people, I, I assume, I don't know this, but I assume most people are coming back. The I hope so. Aren't leaving. For, I hope for so. Good. I would, I would assume most people are. It's the, the, the folks. I, I think the folks that the older people that had their house paid for that didn't have windstorm insurance. Those are the ones you worry about. The people or in the, the middle of their lives who still have their house mortgaged. And we're paying all the or, insurance. Or the renters, you know. I mean, I've seen like horrific things about, you know, a majority of the apartment complexes in Rockport have been condemned. And they're just bulldozing. That's true. So all I of the people. I single one that's still. I, I think there's one over right in front of Key Allegro that's actually, I, I don't know, is that one still up or. What is that one called? It's right there to the left, yeah. like passing Bellinos. Right it had the a gas lot station. of roof damage and surface. Yeah. I know a so. lot of the apartments have been condemned. I know that Rockport is full of a lot of temporary rental people. Not only that, but from an economical standpoint, we don't have winter Texans right now. Goose Island State Park is closed. It's not open to winter Texans to come down here and rent for five months or to rent their vacation home for, you know, through the winter and spend their money here. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky that, you know, the boiling pot open, Charlotte Plummer's open, and then we have a bar. We have one bar. It's, of course, it's the Sugar Shack. <laughs> 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 so, so, I mean, there is a little bit of life, and 
I I was actually telling Stephen this morning, I took my daughter to the bus stop because I, I have an 11-year-old and she's displaced. And so they're all having to go to Portland. Right. So we all meet up at the, at the, at the, uh, the field where the bus, the buses pick them up in the morning, super early too. It's, it's, you know, unreasonable in a sense for a kid to get up that early, but we have to do what we have to do. Yeah. 615. And then they have like a 35 minute bus ride to Portland there and back. And I remember waking up this morning telling myself, um, you know, I, I, I got past the gas station right there at business 35 and 35 bypass. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw the gas station and then everything was cleaned up. Like there was no debris on the streets. There was no nothing. And then I saw that it looked like Tackle Town was open or going to open that morning. The Taqueria was open (laughs) and it was full of cars. And then I see this open and it was like this very tiny short strip of Rockport on Business 35 looked normal. It looked how it always looked. Yeah. And and so that it put totally put a smile on my face this morning. I was like, man, this little tiny strip of 35 <laughs> is just of it, that's that that made my made my day. And it, that like it's little things like that that give you hope because once you got past that point, it was like trash and everything else that we've been dealing with for the last month, porta potties everywhere and um you know, more than anything, debris. So, um and then a bunch of businesses, big corporations that haven't even returned yet. You know, AT and T, you have you know, you have all these franchises and, you know, commercial companies that um are here that I don't know if they're waiting on insurance or if because so many people have been displaced, it's not financially, you know, yeah, right. Logical for them to show back up right now. I mean, I can't imagine how many people are going to show up at the AT and T store for the <laughs> new iPhone in the next week here in Rockport. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's just not going to happen. Right, it's not high up so, on their list. Yeah, exactly. For recovery. So I mean, but slowly but surely, we're we're going to get back to to normal. Yeah, it is going to take time. I mean, even. Um, like you go to Biloxi mm-hmm. and you know that area and you can still see spots that aren't fully recovered from Katrina which was 2005 golly right. 12 years ago so um, but no I, I I give this place a year to start to feel normal totally I mean you guys will bounce back have you learned anything about yourself yeah you through this experience yes I learned that I like to volunteer and he likes to fish. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Casey was really good about volunteering and organizing all these people. Well, but and, the, and, I, and I kept thinking, you know, there's nobody out there right now. I kind of want to see what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't so, stop thinking about it, in fact. And uh, I wanted to see how everything was changed. And I probably spent seven days just roaming around, looking at everything and just seeing what changed and well and i had hippie parties <laughs> in our front yard it looked like it looked like it did it looked like a commune out here there <laughs> 
tents everywhere, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of this regular guy, you know, but, but <laughs> it was funny. It was a lot of well, fun. And, and, and some really wonderful people came down, mm-hmm. like, like those guys from Indiana. Oh, yeah, totally selflessly just came down, never met them before, volunteered their time, came down here with tons of donations. Really? Parked their fifth wheel across the street. They had like a 32-foot fifth wheel. Rented two skid steers with their own money. 2000 bucks they spent with their own money. Their own money. These guys, one was an electrician, the other one was a paramedic. And, and a uh, cop. And a cop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Awesome. And they put themselves out there and just, I mean, and they, I mean, she raised some money for them and some, I, we, she put the word out in the community. They ended up getting most of that money back yeah but they didn't know they didn't ask for it either they, they just, just did showed this. up blind and I, totally and we just asked him i was like so how much did you pay for that you know and then he, 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 out of their own pocket they showed us and i thought oh my god well look casey would you you know help them yeah. raise this money and, and she of course did and and but it, it was really extraordinary them and and, oh, and these man. people, they'd never been to Texas before. They yeah, just they wanted had to never s- been to Texas. They just wanted to come down and see what it was about. And they were, I mean, they they demoed buildings, entire buildings. It's these not guys even were just them, though. I mean, lots, we had, yeah, lots of people. I probably had 20 to 30, this is no joke, different people at my house. There are people from L.A., California, California, uh, Northern Jason California, Shields, Canada. Canada. We had a Canadian here. <laughs> they stayed at my yard or in my house. I, I, I remember we had a solar shower out here, and the volunteer fire department guys, one guy came by and he said, you know, me and my son haven't showered in a couple of days, and here I am. I'm just this like whatever. A shower is a shower. You yeah. know, I'm not a I'm not a germaphobe. We like, had dudes lined up showering in our master <laughs> well, bath. Well, the funny thing her. is, it, it is. It's true. <laughs> I was like, you know, we have a solar shower, but I'm like, no, y'all go right inside and use my master shower. Use my shower. I was kind of scratching my head. He was. He he is different than I am. <laughs> We're two totally different people when it comes to that. So when you ask if we learn things about ourselves, not only do we learn things about ourselves, uh, learn. we learn things about each other. I was very proud of her, though. I can tell you that. I was really proud of her. And, and you know, people would come by and say... <laughs> I, like I said, I live in my own little world, my own bubble, and she's out there on social media doing all that. And I, I honestly don't know what she's doing most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't keep up with it at all, you know. And so so someone would come by and go, hey, is Casey here? We are wondering. I think, uh, you know, I'd go find her, and she'd go, yeah, the you know little old lady at whatever address doesn't have insurance or whatever, and they, they need someone to come over and, <laughs> And she and they'd send them there, and you know there'd be a whole group of people cleaning the whole place up. And Community yeah. organizing. Yeah, yeah, she really That's is. That's exactly what I turned into, and she then I turned is, the house yeah. into a donation station because uh, the Red Cross was supposed to show up out here in Lamar with a bunch of donations, and they didn't. And yeah. they were supposed to show up out here with hot meals, and they didn't. And so you, I you go all day without anything to eat. All day. <laughs> I mean, there's nowhere to get it. it yeah. Well, no. Somebody come over with a barbecue sandwich. It was wonderful. And I there mean, were I, friends. Yeah. Like, uh, look, community friends that came in from San Antonio and stuff, they would set up down here at our boat ramp, and they would barbecue and serve barbecue throughout the day. But that was all we had. We didn't have 
government assistance. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I, there was I'm going no to tell, tell a bit of the story because I think it's important that people know. Um, but when, when I turned the house into a donation station, it wasn't because we didn't have, um, you know, people bringing stuff in. We had people bringing stuff in. We had nowhere to take it for Lamar or Goose Island. And the volunteer fire department didn't have an open bay available at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were under the impression that Red Cross was going to show up. So they weren't accepting any donations until we found out Red Cross was, in fact, not coming. And so they ended up moving one of the fire trucks, opening up an entire bay. And we ended up taking all of our donations and all of the donations that were organized for the community over to the fire department. And that's kind of... That was our donation station after, you know, the yellow house on the corner decided to, to stop being the donation station. But I will say we did have an experience with Red Cross out here, but it wasn't them donating or giving resources. It was day two of our cleanup, and we had Stephen working with us guys. I was helping out in the yard, and, you know, Red Cross pulls up in two Tahoes, and they see people home who are living amongst destruction. We're and sawing trees off the roof. Yeah, sawing yeah. trees off the roof. And the, a lady gets out, and, of course, she's real nice. You know, I have nothing bad to say about her. I just, uh, you know, she she asked me how I was feeling, and I confided in her at the time. And she said, well, do you mind if we take a couple pictures? Oh. And I said, you know, sure, whatever. An entire camera crew gets out of the two vehicles. I'm I'm not talking one camera picture. I'm talking... Very, very nice camera equipment and four or five people walking around our house with f- cameras filming our conversation. She had a microphone on the whole time. And so I'm like, you know, what is this for? And she goes, well, we have to make a we're making a commercial so we can get more donations for help. And and by the end of that conversation, we signed our pieces of paper and they got in the car and they left. They didn't offer us any any you know i mean whatever whether we were going to be denied or not or whether they felt like we deserved it or not uh, a a case of water or something you know <laughs> I, I do think it's kind of cool how we all took care of ourselves here though yeah we did we it did, is yeah. it is kind of cool th- this is this is a sort of an intact community they where, call us the lamartians where people for cared about each other and stuff and there's other yeah. parts of the texas i don't i don't think fare quite as well but but i mean i th- i think I think it spoke to who we are as a people that we came together and all helped each other. And out, we're all know? friends now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I met these we new did friends. Meet the government, so. Yeah, <laughs> we have. We, we or the Red right Cross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not the government. No. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, you know. We had people stop by on a golf <laughs> cart. <laughs> I mean, I threw a rager in my front yard and had strangers <laughs> from all over the neighborhood come. It was a blast. <laughs> and then we met another couple who lived down the street. Who I they still stop by every day. They stopped by yesterday. And uh, she was just who, here. Oh, that was her. Yeah. Okay. Uh, see? Uh, she's just not in the golf cart today. Uh, pick us up and take us down to the boat ramp to get some food. Get some barbecue. That barbecue. Some people from Oklahoma were, were down there cooking yeah. for everybody. They were talking about the alligator. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and so, like last night, for instance, she texts me, it's 10 o'clock at night. 
And uh, she's like, hey, the alligator's out. You know, I'll come by and pick you up on the golf cart. You get a drink and let's go to see the alligator. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, I've seen him before. <laughs> but there is one that lives at the boat ramp here, so you got to watch your dogs. But um, I just I'm, – I'm like, wow, what – a, what a crazy situation and how it brings people together right. of all different <laughs> kinds. I mean, never, and this is nothing against her. I think she's a wonderful person. But, I mean, without Hurricane Harvey, I mean, That's I right. wouldn't know this lady, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, as a community, we've all just kind of come together, and we know more of each other now. And well, that's true. On yeah. a more intimate level, too. You know, we all went through something that is pretty traumatic, and we, we all suffered from it in some way. And so, um, yeah, that our little Lamar community is it's, it's pretty strong. We have a tough community here. Mm-hmm. I think it certainly brought out the best in a lot of a lot of people mm-hmm. i mean even in places where you wouldn't expect it as much as it's you like would in a place like the Lamar. one time that politics and religion doesn't matter right i'm not even kidding i swear i had trump supporters one weekend and the next weekend i had all of my lesbian friends who were bernie sanders supporters <laughs> Who we were happy they weren't all there together. Yeah, but, but it was we were happy about it, that because you know Casey and I can go with whatever crowd you know. But it was <laughs> it was fun to watch the the, the different styles of yeah. It, it is, <laughs> but but the the conversations of like politics would come up every now and then. But like in a disaster situation, it's kind of hard to get aggro with somebody <laughs> and like you know. Well, this is why I you know it, oh come on like uh, there's a house blown apart into right. pieces across like, the street that stuff doesn't matter it's irrelevant. perspective right exactly. right exactly. it is it and, I, and i guess it's it at least for me you know i i came really close to getting flooded didn't get flooded but i realized how much i take for granted yeah with just the simple having the simple things available to you and you guys had to live through all this this traumatic experience and going without a lot of things and i'm sure it also did that for you where you're like Man, I really liked AC, or I really liked my refrigerator running. Or certainly, yeah. we went. You know, we're we're grateful. Um, we have a, a. My dad resides in Portland currently, so they got power before we did. However, um, the first couple days after the storm were really nice. It was cool. cool. Yeah dry air so we were able to sleep here but the tv on yeah yeah, what (laughs) still don't actually we still don't have tv or internet no and and we live off of community (laughs) generator we will be for the next six seven months maybe power still goes out a couple times a day (laughs) so i mean well i mean we have we have two large generators that sit at the front of our our road up here that power all of lamar and I, I mean, there's still some things I can't turn on. Like, I can't run a fan and the leaf blower. Or, you know, <laughs> like the GFI goes off. And it's like, no, that's too much power, you know. <laughs> like, you get this much. No blow dryer. No hair straightener. Like, just enough to power the essentials. So, I mean, and it's all good. It, it feels normal. And we've gotten really good at learning to adapt um, not, we don't eat out as much. We've been saving, saving some money in that respect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we like to get right. Exactly. Just a couple. Exactly. Yeah. So 
Harvey, uh, Harvey brought a lot of people together from all over and in a good way. Um, I don't have much to say about FEMA or Red Cross or anything like that, but I do have something to say about humanity and the people that stepped up and showed up when they didn't have to and pull money out of their own pockets or have, have, you know, the, the courage to ask people for donations, you know, monetary donations so they could get us help and food and, and so there is something to be said for those people and those people have completely changed this experience for me personally and I think it would have gone a lot different if we didn't have help um, we would be in a very very different place right now the entire community Yeah. so we're very very fortunate for those people that's great to hear mm-hmm. speaking about changes so Stephen you went out scoped it out on the water and looked at what's changed did you go to cedar bayou did you drive oh yeah yeah well cedar bayou vincent slough went in the inside outside i saw everything in every possible way to see uh yeah vincent slough's sealed off pretty good and and uh so is cedar bayou but vincent's got a new cut right Yeah, that's that's what I heard, but I went from the inside all the way through it, and on a high tide, I did not see a. You didn't see it. I didn't see a cut to the Gulf at all. I mean, I I went all all through it, and so. And then all the dunes were knocked down, right? Yeah, the dunes. A lot of the dunes are knocked down. It looks a lot different in Vincent's. It really does. There's a there's a, a part of an oil rig. The 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 probably. 30 or 40 feet right in the middle of Cedar Pass, buried in the sand right now. That that was interesting to, to it see. Stick, it, it's exposed? It's on, part its, of it's, it's on its side. It's, on its, side. it's, it's, a, it's a stand-up leg. Okay. You think, what in the world? How did that get? Yeah. Why didn't that not sit on the bottom? But it didn't. It's right there. It's huh. a lot, lot of water moved through there, and unfortunately it left a lot of sand there, so it's it's sealed up pretty solid now. Uh, it really is. I I had saw something that was in, in an email exchange, but um, yeah, a lot. It's it's almost sealed in, I've but all the dunes are knocked down. Yeah. So like, we get a, if you get a good outflow, if you get a really strong norther, push a bunch of water out. Maybe I mean I, I saw all those helicopter pictures too, but uh, I'm telling you, on the ground, <laughs> it looks feels different. Feels it it really feels like a significant amount of sand. I mean, and that we went on there on a fairly high tide, and 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 I didn't just come in through Cedar Bayou. I went through the back of San Jose. There's if you connect the creeks in certain ways, you can get there that way, and uh, and uh, it's sealed up pretty solid. And then, like I said, I went around the other way too. I've been there yeah. a few times. Um, the, I, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is a loss of loss of vegetation, uh, and and there's holes um, way up in San Jose Island now where uh, you know, like you'll notice a section say say three feet deep two feet deep you know a hundred feet long of just whatever the island was that got sloughed off and is gone ah and so so little pockets little pockets lots of little pockets up there now so uh, you know, if you're too skinny, you can jump your sh- jump your boat up there, which is nice. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, 
the and and then on the back side of San Jose Island, you know, you, you'll see some, you know, iconic sorts of landmarks that just, you know, Big Island or whatnot that they just don't don't look the same anymore. Of yeah. course, I mean, you can imagine that these things are constantly state of flux, and they're going to change all the time. That's right. That's uh, but it it does. Uh, it's hard to see the vegetation. There's a lot of debris in the water. It's a very dangerous place to boat. I hit a telephone pole, a light pole. You did? I hit it, yeah. Uh, it was scary. I was coming home. Sun was right in my eyes. And uh, it was just probably six inches below the surface. And, and she, she she was with me, so she yelled. And I took a hard right turn and still whacked it hard on the bottom of the boat. But it didn't bunch or anything but could have easily taken them out lower oh, absolutely there's several rooftops out there floating around i'm still seeing them you know it's, it's just i mean what do you expect it's a hurricane yeah i can't imagine what copano looks like uh most of them sure holiday beach is in that bay right now i can't i don't i, I know some very experienced boaters that just simply will not go out there right now i hope well a couple of things with the habitat that you know i think you're going to lose a lot of seagrass mm -hmm. just because of the turbidity and the fresh water mm -hmm. um I hope in Copano, I hope a bunch of reefs didn't get silted, silted up. Yeah, silted a, along yeah, with the, the, yeah, the damaging oyster harvest coming right on top of the hurricane and the silt. Yeah, yeah. that'll hurt the oyster reefs, no doubt about it. Yeah. No uh, doubt about it. So we'll see. I know these, these oystermen um, are going to have a tough, tough go of it this year. Lost a lot of reefs in Galveston right. due to the fresh water. And, uh I mean, we saw today, we, we were fishing today, and we were on San Jose Island, and we saw that was a six-foot-long gar. That was probably... It was the most bizarre thing I've seen on that We used to see them in St. Charles. Because yeah. there's freshwater lakes over there. This thing was this thing was way up in San Jose I mean, Jose this Island. is, we're talking straight salt. And this gar was just... He's a big one. In right? a flat. <laughs> I, that was, it was huge. I didn't know what it was. And, and, you know, I'm pulling the boat, of course, and Stephen's up there, and we're the looking for gar, redfish, yeah. and yeah. a huge alligator gar comes by. I'm like, look at that. And, of course, I've caught one. He hasn't caught one yet in the salt. And I thought, what an awesome I'll opportunity. Put him in the fresh, but that would be a good one to catch. Yeah. What, uh, you know, <laughs> awesome what, a random, yeah. what a random place to I see one, I ran it right across too. his face. He wasn't interested, though. No. <laughs> and, and truthfully, the story behind the gar that I caught was he already had bait. And, like, he had, had caught a mullet. He had a mullet. Oh. And I made a perfect cast with the fly. Hooked the mullet. Oh. So when he <laughs> ate the mullet, the hook ended up, I That's mean, just like right in the bone. It, it is, yeah. You know what, though? Bait fishing is all it was. I'm going to tell you what. That was a Hail Mary of a cast. Uh. And everything came together perfectly because. She hooked the mullet. <laughs> that and then the, just kept eating the mullet. <laughs> and, then it, it, and then my fly ended up in his mouth. So. Uh. Uh, that, that, it's not like it was like I have this fantastic story about how this gar <laughs> ate my fly. That's no. a better story, I think. <laughs> I, I mean, I could have, I could have, you know, but I mean, that's just, I, I, yeah. I mean, cast at the bait and, the, and, and, and hook a gar. And you get a gar on fly. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty interesting. So. And you mentioned y'all had an alligator here, but the alligator, you don't, shouldn't normally see an alligator. Yeah. It's, so there's a, a pond resident? down oh, okay. the street. Okay. It's a freshwater pond. Okay. But here's the deal. There's so much fresh water in St. Charles 
that it's like almost brackish. Okay. And so the salinity, I guess, is enough is for enough. them to to where they can cross back and forth, and they do. I mean, we have we have big gators all throughout St. Charles. St. Charles. Yeah. yeah. But the gar over there was just That's like unusual. the refuge yeah. has these freshwater ponds that they right. dam up, and the gators live there, and they cross the dam, and they oh, go okay. they, they go, go into the flats, eat a mullet, come back. Okay. That's, right. That's what's going on. So St. Charles, you heard St. Charles is closed now for oystering. Did you? As a oh, part of really? That? Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's that good news. <laughs> that whole deal, you know, that was all voted on the day before Harvey. <gasps> really? Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. We, we, we didn't know because we've been kind of. Oh, yeah. like, oh, so let me catch you up. Tell me, so how, tell me what happened there. Um, so the the commission voted on all that all those right. oyster proposals and and they and they passed them and the the bay closures are. Um, Christmas Bay, Karankawa Bay, St. Charles, um, I'm going to miss one, Powderhorn Lake, South Bay, and Hines Bay. Mm -hmm. those, those, those six bays. And then the 300-foot buffer off all shorelines. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. God, that makes me well, so Chuck happy. Well, Chuck Neiser was the one who brought it to our attention. Right. And, and yeah. then uh, he, he kind of spearheaded that thing for, for, for us. Yeah. And it was yeah. – uh, that's wonderful. That yeah. really is. Yeah. Because it, awesome. uh, it was hard to see him – tearing out well, all those oyster beds there in St. Charles. Yeah, this year. I mean, right here in your backyard. And, and it, what was it, like 70 boats in that one little 70 tiny 70 boats. Well, that was actually, that picture was actually taken in Galveston, oh. uh, that particular, and I think that was the Christmas Bay Christmas picture. Bay. But no, there were, y'all had a bunch. Right, exactly. Y'all had several dozen no, here. No, we did. And and the, the what happens is is it just messes up the water. Yeah. The the. The the clean water is gone when those guys come through. Yeah. And, know, and I, I love masses. the oysters. I'm all for people taking oysters, but please just do it responsibly. Well, yeah. and and in and in the oystermen's, in and in their defense, they there was nowhere else for them to go, and and their only blame for all of this, or the main blame, I should say, not only, but Hurricane Ike just ruined everything when you when you take out 80 percent of the oyster reefs in galveston bay and the fishery was primarily condensed into galveston bay before 2009 for hurricane ike yeah so we never ike, saw it here. ike drove them down here yeah because it was always just local guys yeah. around here ike, it's a mobile fleet and when they could no longer fish in galveston they came down they here. came to all the smaller bays down the coast that had oysters copano st charles caroncola gal i mean matagorda huh and so that's when you guys started seeing it, and there was nowhere else for them. Nowhere else we always had oyster boats out here, but it, it wasn't a big deal, you know. And then suddenly they just right. these weren't your residents warmed it. Yeah, these yeah. These I'm were slightly concerned for the counters. price of oysters. Oh, they're not gonna be cheap. <laughs> you know, if, if if the if the buyers can can get enough from Louisiana, you'd probably be okay. But even Louisiana has concerns from Hurricane Harvey with all the fresh right. water they got. So. Right. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's a little. I love oysters, and we do too. I always we, get a big big sack of them. It used to be thirty five bucks. Yeah, no, for a giant sack. It's, yeah, it's gonna be probably eighty. Oh wow, to hundred bucks. Really? And you gotta shuck you gotta them yourself. A, you gotta have a party. Yeah, we might as well pay yeah, an extra fifty bucks. Thirty-five bucks. I always them myself. I enjoyed that. Might as well pay an extra fifty bucks for someone else to shuck them for you if you're already gonna spend the eighty. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be. But hopefully they can get they can bounce back if if they didn't you know, it's gonna take a couple of years. Right. 
because they lost all the uh, you know we I, I I worked hard to put to push that because once I did the research and Chuck had brought it to my attention it became something that was important to the to the fishery to the habitat to everything you know and I I know that people have livelihoods and they were there were men on those boats that needed to work so I understand that too but um it the storm just kind of completely blew my mind to even check or ask that's interesting what had happened we were so caught up in that and then the storm came and And then then i didn't think about it again until you said something (laughs) yeah so hopefully the signatures made a difference i i hope so oh and then and then and then 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 chuck was caught up in the other deal so yeah yeah wildlife refuge getting shut down oh yeah well we can wade into that if you yeah go ahead if you want to that's all him so well let me just let you handle it Stephen. but basically as as far as my understanding is that there's areas of the refuge that were only historically closed during whooping crane season are now closed year round Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's there's really no access any longer from the water to those areas regardless of what you use to access what you would historically use to access that is that correct that that's true and and um i kind of saw that sort of thing unravel um what happened was you know as you know there's just a lot of pressure on the flats these days you know i I remember it was the, the the trout fishermen waiting and you pretty much had the the water a foot deep to yourself you know, and then the airboats would come during duck season, and, and everything seemed to work just fine. But pretty much everybody's on the flats now, it seems like. But flats fishing has gotten very popular. A lot of people in skinny water, and there's some good fishing up in the wildlife refuge. And the refuge saw increased pressure in that area over the years, and they saw some habitat destruction uh, that they had documented. Um and there were some incidents in the refuge that resulted in some people getting tickets and getting law enforcement involved. Um, and at about the same time, uh, there's an organization called uh, Flatsworthy, and they were working in conjunction with all the different user groups to sit there and, and try to peacefully... Um, use the the resource well the the people at the refuge wanted to have a meeting to um, lay out exactly what the expectations were uh, for the law enforcement people at the refuge in terms of how 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 we use it and how we can't use it they had this meeting they had a good presentation about the habitat destruction and everything but unfortunately, there was a lot of ambiguity in the meeting. There was much more ambiguity at the end of the meeting than in the beginning. And they left people with the impression that uh, you can just kind of go in there and do what you want. Is That's my take on it. Other people may see this differently, but that's my take on it. And that led to uh, more trouble in the refuge. And... Um, they wrote a bunch of tickets they had to look and see if they could enforce those tickets 
And as they went up the chain of command, I believe to, to, to an administrator in New Mexico, and he told them that if it impedes on the, uh, um, the, the mission of the refuge, they don't have to do it. So therefore, if people going into the refuge messes with that at all, they can shut everyone out if they want to. And unfortunately, rather than, than come up with some sort of solution that would would help people continue to experience that refuge, because it's a beautiful place, you know, uh, they just shut everyone out. Um, and it's a, it's a big sticking point with a lot of anglers. Um, it, it's a shame they couldn't come up with some something sort of to mitigate the, the, the loss of habitat versus the, the people who wanted to use it. They, I remember speaking with, with people at the refuge, and they, they said that this is a refuge. It's not a wildlife management area. Their obligation is to the wildlife and not the people. But I would think as taxpayers, we would want some sort of access to the place yeah. that would also consider what the mission is. You I know. mean, there's activities that we can engage in that do not impede with that with that mission exactly and and I, I i would hope that they would that their actions would come up with for some sort of review in the near future where yeah. people could steal you know if, if you want to if you want people to appreciate what that the, the habitat that that refuge is uh is protecting then it's a good idea to let people experience it somehow and uh and i completely appreciate the fact that 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 needs to be regulated because you know whooping cranes are important you yeah. know migratory birds are important uh we need to 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 listen to biologists and and listen to the science behind whatever it is they're trying to tell us what they need and, and work around that but to sit there and just shut everyone out seems like um someone just not wanting to deal with the with with, with the with situation the main, yeah. and uh so that that's where that's at. Um, uh, you know, it was just sort of uh, an unfolding of unfortunate circumstances that led to it. It wasn't on anybody's agenda. I can tell you that. Yeah. You know, I I know the 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 the, the air boaters, the fly fishermen, the people running, you know, tower boats. Who, who everybody is very disappointed that we can no longer use that at all it's it's a huge area it's uh, a beautiful area uh it was a a great place to introduce people to to uh, what we have here on the coastal bend and to help them appreciate the the wildlife here and now i mean you can still drive in their car you know but you just can't see it by any sort of watercraft uh which is which is frustrating. Yeah, I think there's well, a I think there's a disconnect in the uh, logic there. I think it's unfortunate, and I hope I hope that that they can ultimately land in a good spot to 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 allow people to appreciate it from the water. It makes no sense to to cut everybody out, especially those that aren't having a negative impact on the habitat. It yeah. just it's. And maybe some, you know, some angler groups can maybe get together or, or bird watchers or whatever to, to maybe get some sort of uh, limited, at least, or restricted access to the place so we can still experience it. I, th I think that that's something that we certainly 
Yeah, but you can drive All there in your car, but there, there's, rally around that. there's nothing like going in there on some sort of watercraft, whether it's a yeah. canoe, kayak, a boat that you pull or use a trolling motor on, something. I mean, uh, you can experience that place without a combustion engine, right? Uh, yeah. You know, without, the, I don't see how that would be any worse than driving up to them in a car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or walking up there or anything else. Uh, it just doesn't. I, 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 it's an oversimplified solution um, is, is my issue with that. And I, I don't expect this, this is the last conversation to be had on this. I'm hoping that um, that once the refuge recovers from the hurricane that they can they can um, they would be willing to have a discussion. With well, there, there's some groups. really good people who work there, really good people and I, and I and I'm sure they'll have perhaps some open ears and and be able to to influence the powers to be in Washington or wherever they are uh, to perhaps you know make something that works for for both the people and the wildlife yeah I don't think it's mutually exclusive agree mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so um, I guess we can wrap this up Sounds as, I, good. as I know um, We've got a little deadline here. Hey, he's got the deadline. <laughs> I'm just hanging out today. <laughs> I get a free day off. Free day. I, I pulled him around for four and a half hours. So that was this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah I think we hit. I had a list here of stuff that I wanted to hit on. Well, um, let's do it. No, we hit. We did it. Oh. We did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> All right. As we close, <laughs> is there anything you want to anybody that might be listening to this? Uh, any. any Anything you want to tell folks that may be interested in a guide trip? How about uh, a contact? Sheonthefly.com. Yeah, sheonthefly.com has all of our contact information available okay. on it. Um, and uh, for those who are interested, this is this is my biggest thing, and it's not just for me, but as my for my community because I have friends who live for the guide business. You know, they, that's every trip counts for them financially. And this hurricane really took a toll. And, you know, there is still fishing available. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's you're not going to have this quirky, unique town that has, you know, hotels to stay in and, you know, all this other stuff. But if you have an opportunity to come down and fulfill a trip with a guide that either you know you had already booked um that you have booked uh um or that you want to book um that the best way i think in my opinion people can help bring back the community and bring back a little bit of normalcy is to is to book with guides to maintain that relationship um that you know Yes, the fishery has changed, and yes, you know, it, things are a little bit different, and everybody's kind of learning new things about it and trying to figure out what's happening um, with with the fish. But um, that the most important thing that you can do for someone uh, who is in the business is to book a trip. And, you know, that's their livelihood. That's their money. Um, and, and that's how they feed their family. That's how they put food on the table. And I can't imagine being, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends who are guides, uh, that live in Rockport who literally lost everything and they're renting homes in other towns, 
um, to just try to survive and, and not even guiding because their guide trips have been canceled. And so they're not making money. They're just coming back and forth, commuting, uh, working on their own homes. So that, that's important. Um, and to take that away is, is detrimental to not only the guide community, but the, the community in general, uh, as far as a money aspect goes. So, um, that's it for me. I just, you know, that Hurricane Harvey put one to us. Yeah. And if, if we're going to come back from it, you know, of course we need our community, but we also need, need what has sustained our community yeah. for so long, and which is tourism, uh, fishing, and, um, yeah, those, those two things are really important. And w- we don't want to be forgotten in that aspect. So. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of Thanks course. for doing this podcast. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Very hospitable. Like I said, it's a little warm out here. <laughs> uh, y'all got a beautiful place. And, thank uh, you. Two great people. And I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Anytime. All right, folks. Thank you for listening to the Coastal Advocacy Adventures podcast. I want to thank Casey and Stephen again. They opened up their home for us to record this episode. And despite having so much on their plate, still very much in recovery mode from Hurricane Harvey, they took the time to have me over. And they opened up their lives, and they shared their stories. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for their selflessness, and I'm grateful for their hospitality. As we discussed in this episode, at at this point, one of the best ways you can help the people of Rockport and the surrounding communities to get back on their feet is to go and support their local economy. Book a trip with a guide. Spend your money at the local establishments. And while you're there, if possible, make donations to their local nonprofit groups. Finally, if you're interested in a fly fishing trip on the Middle Coast, or for any ladies listening, if you want to go on a world-class destination trip to the Grand Bahama Island, check out sheonthefly.com. There's no doubt Casey will put you on some fish, and you will make some lifelong memories and friendships on that trip. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>